Okay, we are in the book of Acts, chapter 27, Acts 27. And let's start picking up again in verse 20, 22. Acts 27, 22. Now I urge you to keep up your courage, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship. For this very night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I served stood before me, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. Therefore, keep up your courage, men, for I believe, God, that it will turn out exactly as I have told you, but we must run aground on a certain island. But when the fourteenth night came, as we were being driven about in the Adriatic Sea, About midnight, the sailors began to surmise that they were approaching some land. They took soundings, and they found it to be 20 fathoms. And a little farther, and they took another sounding and found it to be 15 fathoms. Fearing that that we might run aground somewhere in the rocks, they cast four anchors from the stern and wished for daybreak. But as the sailors were trying to escape from the ship, and had let down the ship's boat into the sea on the pretense of intending to lay out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, Unless these men remain in the ship, you yourselves cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it fall away. Until the day was about to dawn, Paul was encouraging them to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have been constantly watching and going without eating, having taken nothing. Therefore I encourage you to take some food, for this is for your preservation, for not a hair from the head of any of you will perish. And having said this, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of all, and he broke it and he began to eat. All of them were encouraged, and they themselves also took food. All of us in the ship were 276 persons, and when they had eaten enough, they began to lighten the ship by throwing out the wheat into the sea. Okay, so last time we talked about the word that Paul had received, the encouragement that he gave to to the others on the ship. And now in verse 27, he says, this is the 14th day. So it was the 14th day that they had, since they had set out. Remember, they had wanted to go about 40 miles to the other side of an island, and they got pushed 476 miles. Uh, And so it took 14 days, and 14 days they were lost, they didn't know where they were, and and they had just barely come through the sea. They find, it says that uh, uh, the, the sailors surmised that they were approaching some land. It was midnight, so they couldn't see it. But either they're, they're hearing the breakers, they're hearing the change in the waves, or they're smelling the, 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 the aroma that comes from, from land. And, and so these are sailors. So they're used to being out on the sea, and they understand these sort of things. And so they took soundings where they dropped down a string with weights on it, and, and they see that, they're getting close, that the, the, the depth is getting less and less. And so that they thought that it would run aground, so they cast out four anchors because they didn't want to run aground at night 
Uh, and so they, they cast out four anchors and they wished for daybreak. It says, though, that the sailors had let down the ship's boat. So how many sailors there were, I'm not sure. We know that there's 276 people, so there's 100 soldiers, a centurion and his 100, and then there's some number of sailors and some number of prisoners. But to have fit all at once in a ship's boat, I don't know, maybe it was 50, I don't know how big the, the, uh, that ship's boat was, but they had let it down into the sea. And it's interesting that Paul knows what they're planning to do, that they're planning to escape. They want to get into this little boat that has a lot le- that has a much lower, a much uh, smaller draft and can get up near to the shore to escape, and just let leave everyone else on board. But Paul knows that no one on board; these are all prisoners or soldiers. Knows how to sail, and these men, under the pretense of laying out anchors from from the uh, bow, from the front of the ship, are are uh, all planning to pile into this thing. And Paul tells. He says, he tells the the centurion and the soldiers, he says this, if these men don't stay with the ship, you yourselves can't be saved. Now, Paul knows that he's going to be saved. And remember, traveling with Paul, they're Luke and Aristarchus. Paul knows that he's going to be saved because Jesus has assured him that he will be in Caesarea. When Jesus appeared to him, I'm sorry, that he would meet with Caesar. When Jesus had appeared to him, or the angel that appeared to him on the ship, he says that everyone sailing with you is granted to you. In verse 24, God grant, grants, has granted to you all those who are sailing with you. Who are sailing with you. So he knows that those, if, if those sailors leave, there's no one sailing that ship. So Paul says to the soldiers, you know, you guys are going to die if these if these all these sailors get on this boat and leave. So right away, what did, what, did the, what did the soldiers do? They cut away the ship's boat. They cut away the small boat and let it drift away. And remember, it's still violent waves are going on here. This storm is still assailing them. If it, if it had not been assailing them, they wouldn't be so worried of running aground with four anchors being cast out. So still the waves were really, really quite hitting them hard. And so they cut away this boat. Well, what does this tell us? It tells us that God doesn't just ordain the ends. He also ordains the means. This is the means by which you are going to be saved. He didn't just ordain the end and say, no matter what happens. He says, this is the way it's going to happen. You must run aground. You must do these things. God has ordained not just the end, but the means. And so... Now these soldiers cut away the boat. And you can imagine these sailors like, (laughs) we were going to get out of here. But the soldiers didn't want to be left alone on the the boat without, you know, that's like being on an airplane and the pilots jump out with a parachute and leave you there. That's what it would be like. And so the soldiers just cut away this thing. And it says in verse 33, until the day was about to dawn, Paul was... About to dawn, Paul was encouraging them to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you've been constantly watching and going without eating, having taken nothing. So this must have been pretty violent, that they had not eaten for two weeks. Now, maybe they had shoved little bits of food in their mouth, but they had never stopped to really take a meal for fourteen days. 
And he's encouraging them. He says in verse 34, Therefore I encourage you to take some food, for this is for your preservation. For not a hair of your head of any of you will perish. And this is idiomatic, not a hair of your head will perish. Jesus used the same expression. Does it really mean that you know, after everyone had jumped into the sea and, and gotten to land, that nobody, not a, a single hair from anybody's head had washed off? Is that what it really means? No, it's idiomatic for you're not going to perish. But look what he's doing. He's encouraging them to eat, to take food. He says, this is for your preservation. I thought all we had to do as Christians was, you know, address their spiritual need. No, Paul says he's encouraging them to eat. It is not wrong to encourage people to do things that would be good for them. To encourage people to exercise. This is good for you. It's good. Why don't you have an exercise program? Why don't you eat better? It is not wrong to encourage people to do the right thing. And Paul is encouraging them because he feels that this is for their preservation. So nothing particularly spiritual about this. But you see that the role of a Christian is not just preaching the gospel, it's also to do the right thing, to encourage people to do the right thing. And the other thing is, look at what he's doing. He is the man, again, of encouragement. Earlier on, he had encouraged them through the vision that he had gotten, and now he's encouraging everyone on this ship. So you can imagine the difficulty there was now between the soldiers and the sailors. The soldiers now knowing that the sailors had lied, saying, oh, trust us, we're just going and we're going to set out some anchors from the bow. Trust us. You know, and the soldiers knew better than to trust a bunch of sailors, and they cut this thing away. And, you know, sailors are pretty tough guys. Even today, you go meet sailors and, and they, 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 you talk to them and they don't like all the laws that there are on the land. They like being away for weeks and months at a time out at sea. So I'm sure sailors are the same as they've always been. And they're soldiers. So there's a lot of friction. Everybody is tense. Everybody is angry. For 14 days they've been drifting around in, in a, a, a terrible storm. They're about to run aground. The, the sailors had lied. The soldiers had cut away their ship saying, you know, you're not going to leave us. There's a bunch of prisoners there that everyone would assume just, you know, kill them and toss them overboard. That'll really lighten us up. So everybody's upset. And here Paul is standing there as one of encouragement and saying, man, you really ought to eat. This is for your preservation. This is exactly what a Christian is supposed to do and can do. God has given us this amazing ability. I can sit in a faculty meeting and, and people would be complaining about, oh, you know, the administration doesn't give us this, this isn't good. And with one word, with one sentence, I can say, you know, we really don't have it that bad. Think about this. And, you know, here I speak for 30 seconds and everybody, yeah, you know, you're right. And it changes the whole conversation. You have, as a believer, the ability to do this. To take the assurance that God has given you and to begin to speak a word of encouragement into a group of people that are unbelievers, that are frustrated, that are angry. You can do this. You can change the tenor of an entire conversation. You can change when a conversation is going into a really crude and rude direction. 
You can just say, oh, I'm a Christian and this is not for me and walk away. Or you can speak a word of encouragement and try to shift this whole thing. And to say, hey guys, you, you know, I think there's something better that we should watch. Or, or, or just change the sh- subject. You have the ability to do that. So these aren't particularly Christian words. It was just, eat better, guys. Eat. Eat something. This is for your preservation. You need this. This kind of encouragement. This is what he's doing. Now, in verse 35, it says, Having said this, he took the bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of all, and he broke it and, and, he broke it and began to eat. All of them were encouraged, and they themselves also took food. So you see that in the midst of this now, Paul bows his head and prays out loud. He gave thanks to God in the presence of all, and broke, and he broke it and began to eat. Now remember, these are sailors. You know, the expression, that, you know, he cusses like a sailor. I mean, sailors do this. And remember, these are mean, tough guys, sailors. And, and uh, you know, they probably suffered from scurvy, so they had, you know, lots of missing teeth. And, and they hadn't bathed for who knows how long, but it wasn't in their routine for bathing. And then there's all these soldiers that are upset and angry. And then the rest of the people are not in prison because they skipped Sunday school class. I mean, these are, these are real prisoners. Maybe just Paul is in prison because he skipped Sunday school class, but the rest of them, these are real prisoners. Paul, in the midst of this, was able to pray. It is not wrong to pray. It is not wrong to pray in the face of unbelievers. It is not wrong. Paul was pretty bold in this, but this is what a believer can do. You can have a tremendous impact upon the people that you live with, the people that you you do things with. You can have a tremendous impact on on your track team, on your basketball team, wherever you are. You can, as a believer, have a huge impact. And you can convince yourself that you don't have an impact and can't have an impact and you'll have no impact. Or you can begin to have faith in God and you have an impact. And you say, well, you know, I I tried and I offended this person. Whatever you do, you will offend people. Just your presence will offend people sometimes. Okay, so, uh, let's read on. In in verse 38, they began to, then they threw out the excess wheat because at this point they didn't need it anymore. They're about to, to crash the ship onto the shore. Verse 39. And when day came, they could not recognize the land, but they did observe a bay with a beach, and they resolved to drive the ship onto it if they could. And casting off the anchors, they left them in the sea, while at the same time they were loosening the ropes of the rudders and hoisting the foresail to the wind. They were headed for the beach. But striking a reef where two seas met, they ran the vessel aground, and the prow struck fast and remained immovable. But the stern began to be broken up by the pounding force of the waves. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners so that none of them would swim away and escape. But the centurion, wanting to bring Paul safely through, kept them from their intention and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land, and the rest should follow, some on planks and others on various things from the ship. And so it happened that they were all brought safely to land. Okay, so 
Every one of them was brought safely to land. None of the prisoners escaped. Maybe the centurion, so maybe some of the soldiers jumped off first, swam to the shore and stood there with, with their swords. They had to take the chains off the prisoners or they would have drowned. And, and, uh, um, and so you'd think after all of this, after 14 days in the sea, God could have at least let them run the boat into the beach. And then they could have just jumped off and waded through three feet of water onto shore. Wouldn't that have been enough? But no! <laughs> he had to have it so the ship happens to run aground where two, two bodies of water are coming together and the, 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 it, it, the, the bow of the ship is stuck and the stern of the ship is now being broken up by the battering of the waves. And the soldiers say, this just killed the prisoners because if they escape, we have to give up our lives for that. So let's just kill them. And the centurion says, well, just everybody jump overboard and we'll, we'll all start trying to make our way. And they do it. Let's look at the life of Paul. Just an amazing life. Look in, in 2 Corinthians. This is, a, this is a summary of Paul's life. 2 Corinthians 11. Now this was written prior to this, this boat trip. So when he makes reference to the fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, when he makes reference to the fact that he's been in three shipwrecks, he didn't know he had a fourth one coming. The one we just read about was his fourth. Or maybe maybe there was more. Maybe between the time he wrote this and the time we're reading, there there were six of them. We don't know. But the one we just read about was minimally his fourth. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we're going to read from verse 22. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if I'm saying, I'm more so. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in dangers of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure of me of concern for all the churches, Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? If I have to boast, I will boast of what pertains to my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the ethnarch ethnarch under Aretas, the king, was guarding the city of, of the Damascenes in order to seize me. And I was let down in a basket through a window in a wall, and so escaped his hands. Okay, so Paul is giving just a, a, a... a one-paragraph synopsis of some of the things that he had been through to that point as he was writing to the Corinthians. He says, first of all, in 22, I'm a Jew. So, we know that God kind of likes Jewish people, right? He reveals himself to them and everything. He says, I'm a Jew, look what I went through. He says, I'm really a Jew, I'm a descendant of Abraham. That didn't keep me from being exposed to these sort of problems. He says, on top of that, in verse 23, are they servants of Christ? I speak of it as if in saying, I'm more so. 
So, I'm a Jew, so God's supposed to be good to me. Look what happened to me. I'm a Christian, so God's supposed to be good to me. But look what happened to me. So, if bad things happen to you, don't think that God is necessarily against you. Paul's saying, look, I had everything. I have everything stacked in my favor. If you want to look at it from a, from a, a, a blood standpoint, I've got it. If you want to look at it from a relationship with God standpoint, I've got it. Now, look at my life. He says, uh, uh, I've been in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in dangers of death. So he doesn't even remember how many times he was beaten. He remembers how many times he was beaten by the Jews in their formal, uh, 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 in, in, in their, their, um, their formal beating of, of him with lashes, you know, because the Jews had this way, which was allowed in Scripture, they were allowed to hit a man uh, uh, 40 times according to the scriptures, as a penalty. But they would hit 39 times lest they miscount and go over 40 and be guilty of a sin. So that's why they would only hit 39 times. It's really interesting. So if you read in the law, they could, they could lash a man 40 times, but they'd always go 39 lest they, they, they went over. And so five times he had, in verse 24, he had received from the Jews 39 lashes. Because God had said 40, because at 40 the man wouldn't die. So five times Paul went through these beatings from the Jews, these formal beatings that came as pronounced by a court. This was a court type. So five times. But if you go back up in verse 23, uh, beaten times without number, he's talking about the times, the beatings that he got from the Gentiles. The Roman beatings, there was no particular number that was defined that could stop a man. You could beat a man to death. He couldn't even remember how many times. And some of those are referenced in the book of Acts that we've read. He said, I lost count. I've been beaten so many times. I mean, if, if, if a person looks at me in a mean way, you know, I want to crumble, and I remember that for the rest of my life. He, uh, you know, he gave me a dirty look. Or, I smiled at her, and she didn't smile back. She turned away. I mean, for the rest of my life, I'm impacted by that. Plus, I can't even remember the number of times I've been beaten. It's been so much. You, you, you see what I mean? What we have been through is kindergarten. It's not real apostle-type stuff. And, and, and then he says, uh, far more imprisonments. He has been imprisoned so many times, again and again. This man had been imprisoned. A lot of these are referenced in the book of Acts, but not all of them. Paul is writing many of his letters from prison. Oh, here I am in prison again. You know, again and again. And being in prison is a humiliating thing. You know, I had a prison ministry for ten years. Going to jail is a humiliating thing. You know, they pull off your clothes, they look, look in every orifice of your body to make sure there's not something there that doesn't belong there, and then they throw you in the shower and you get, you know, to get uh, washed up so you might not carry in lice. I mean, it's, it's a humiliating thing. And Paul didn't grow up like this. Paul grew up as a very distinguished man. With a lot of respect. So Paul didn't grow up from a young age, always being you know, a delinquent and thrown in jail. Paul went through all of this. He says, in far more labors, far more imprisonment, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. I mean, how often am I in danger of death? I can't really remember when I've been really in danger of death. I don't know. It's just... Um, you know, things totally out of my control. Maybe the, the car loses control or something. Right? But, you know, in, in general, I'm not, I'm not going around every day in danger of death. 
Then he says, uh, uh, 20, verse 25, Three times I was beaten with rods. So five times he re- received from the Jews. The last three times I was beaten with rods. So there were other beatings that the Gentiles gave, and that was with rods. I mean, that's got to hurt. With a rod? Three times. Once I was stoned. So we... we and that's not stone. That's stone, stone. He, he says... He says, once I was stoned. <laughs> oh, you college students, I figured you might get the wrong idea. <laughs> wanted to help you out here. So, once I was stoned. And this is referenced in the book of Acts. Where, he was, where they threw these stones at him. Once I was stoned. He says, I was shipwrecked. Uh, uh, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I've spent in the deep. And I wondered about this. How can a man stay in the ocean, all night, and not freeze to death. But then, on this recent trip to Israel, we had dinner. This, this couple took us out to dinner right on the Mediterranean coast. And they said, tell me something of, about this water here. Is it cold? They said, oh no, the Mediterranean is always very warm. I said, okay, that's why Paul didn't die. That's why Paul didn't get hypothermia. I mean, you, it's, it's, you, you know, you'd be in the middle of the Atlantic, or in the middle of the Pacific, you know, for an hour, you're dead. I mean, it's just so cold. So, so he spent the entire night. And could, couldn't God have just said, okay, the day is enough? Or the night is He had to spend an entire night and day in the deep. You know, God meant business with this guy. You want to be an apostle? Think of what the apostles went through. But this is what Paul went through. A night and the day I've spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers. How do you be in danger from a river? It means you've got to cross the river and you're, you're getting carried away down this river. And you're going to get your head smashed against the stone. He had to cross all these rivers. We talked about this earlier on in the book of Acts and some of his journeys went way up and around and, and, and without any detail. But this man had to cross lots of rivers. Dangers of rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen. That means from Jews. I was in danger of them. And dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. You know, dangers in the wilderness, just from wild animals. You know, they, they weren't carrying, you know, shotguns. They were just, you know, they might have had a little dagger or something. What, what's that going to do against a bear? And then he, and then he says, uh, uh, dangers from false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights. Through many sleepless nights. It, it, it's, it's like, if, if, a, if a believer bothers me enough that I lose an hour of sleep, I start to resent it. I, I've got to go to bed. You know, I've got to wake up and spend time with the Lord. I don't have time for you. <laughs> you know, and, and Paul is here so many sleepless nights. Through hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Apart from such external things is the daily pressure of me of concern for all the churches. So, when Paul was carrying all of this, he still had the concern, not for just his home church in Antioch, but for all the churches. Remember, in each city he had established churches. He was concerned for all the churches. The amazing thing is that are we concerned even about one church? Paul had the concern for all the churches. I got, a, got an email recently from a young lady, and she said, you, you know, I haven't been with you very much, but I just, it's just been a, a, a hard semester. I, I, don't have, I haven't had much time for God. And, and um, 
you know, I emailed her back. I said, oh, I thought you had just gone some other place, so I was saddened that I didn't see you. Now, I fear for your soul because you haven't had time for God. And that's true. I really fear for her soul because I know that when you don't have time for God, you get very much drawn into the ways of the world. I fear for her soul. Not just sad because I don't see her. I fear for her soul. And this is what happens. Do we even care about one church? Paul said, I've had the concern for all the churches. Let me tell you something that I have seen in my life. So, we, we have people that, that and, and we, we have people that help us out with this class. And I know all of you have different things that you help with. And if, if you help closely with Campus Crusade and you give of yourself, that's fine. I'm just saying what I see here. So, for example, there, is a, there are a couple of young ladies that ride here on their bicycles early in the morning to help us to prepare breakfast. I mean, this means a huge deal. Most people are like, yeah, I, I, it's tough getting down to the bus on time. These girls get on their bicycles and ride here, and then when they get here, they help prepare breakfast, and then when, after they prepare breakfast, then they change their clothes so they're ready for church. I mean, that means something. I see this. Can you imagine if I see this, how much God sees this? It's, it says in, in, uh, in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the, the entire earth to strongly support those whose heart is completely His. So God sees this. He sees these two young girls get on their bicycle and ride here. There's another guy who rides here on his bicycle because the bus doesn't get here in time to set up the Lord's Supper. Can you imagine of all things to set up that's going to make God happy is the Lord's table. This guy doesn't. So he rides his bike here or he runs here because the bus doesn't get here early enough to set the thing up. God sees this. You want to get points with God? Set up the Lord's table or set up a table for His people to eat. That means a lot to Him. You think it means nothing? Jesus said, if you give to one of these little ones even a cup of cool water in My name, you will not lose your reward. A cup of cold water to a believer. Because they are a believer in the name of Christ, you will not lose your reward. So you've given a cup of cold water. When you get to heaven... Jesus said, oh, remember that cup of cold water you gave to that person? See that room on your mansion right there? That's your reward for that. Can you imagine what it must be like, the reward that is there, for faithfully going and serving week after week? Paul said, I have the concern of all the churches. Do we have the concern of one church? The reason I say this so emphatically is because many young people don't know this. You cannot expect a child to grow up to become a concert pianist until you have given them piano lessons. Most people don't know. So I'm teaching you so that you know. If you go to a campus crusade meeting or to an IV meeting, there is usually a person who is standing up there, some student kind of directing that meeting. They didn't just happen to walk in there and start directing the meeting. They planned for this. There's a planning that goes on. Do you think that God doesn't see that planning? It says in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30, Those who honor me, I will honor. 
Those who honor me, I will honor. I get invited to all the campus groups every year. So I go to FCA and I see this one guy who I had known his four years here up there leading the meeting. So he's got to get up there in front of his friends and lead this meeting. God sees that. Those who honor me, I will honor. God will honor that young man. I don't know how, but God is very efficient at it. He will provide for that young man a good wife. He will provide for that young man a good home. He will provide for that young man fellowship with himself. He will provide for that young man children who love God. He will do it. He'll keep that young man's teeth from falling out of his head as he gets older. He'll do something to bless that young man for leading that FCA meeting. When you serve God, there is honor in that. You say, well, you you don't know what I'm going through in my life. Uh, How many times have you been beaten? How many shipwrecks have you been in? I mean, you look at this list. None of us has suffered this. You say, well, I'm under a lot of stress. (laughs) Yeah, well, you're under a lot of stress because you don't spend any time with God. You spend time with God and begin... God will start to work things out in your life. You know, I I have watched students for years. I've watched them. I started out... I got saved at 18. And I... Then I got involved in the church and I watched people. I saw a guy, so I I was an undergraduate at Syracuse University. He would wake up every Sunday morning early, go and get all the Lord's Supper stuff and walk through the cold about a mile and a half. And it was freezing. I mean freezing. Even in the house I lived in. It was a discipleship house. and and, uh, So it's a Christian house, so it had poor heat. And we would wake up in the morning and you could see your breath inside. I used to sleep many nights with my boots on. It would be so cold in that house. And this guy would go and walk about a mile and a half to get to the... Because the church met in a room on campus. And that room would get trashed on Saturday nights. And he'd go there early just to clean the thing up. And he'd take out a mop from the janitor's closet. And he'd mop the whole floor in this campus room. And then he'd set up chairs. And the chairs were full of... of, of beer and stickiness, and he'd wipe them all off because there was going to be a church meeting in there. And I watched this guy's life. God blessed that guy so much. I saw another guy in graduate school. He started a campus ministry and outreach. And this guy gave so much time and tried to get other believers around him and lead this effort. God blessed that guy's life so much. Everybody that I have known that has had concern for the church concerned for the body of Christ, has had a blessed life. It is really quite amazing. You show some concern for the body of Christ, you will have a blessed life. It is very, very different than attending a meeting because when we attend meetings, it's almost the feeling that I deserve something because I got up early and came here. Bless me, bless me. I deserve something for this. Do you know what I went through to get up and come here and sit in this meeting? It better be good. You know? Whatever they speak about, it better be good. Because I sacrificed a lot. The eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the entire earth to strongly support those whose heart is completely His. When I see young people that are devoted to the body of Christ, what did Jesus say? 
he who desires to save his life shall lose it, in Mark 8.35. But he who loses his life for my sake and for the Gospels shall save it. He who loses his life for my sake and for the Gospels shall save it, Mark 8.35. You lose your life for his sake and for the sake of the Gospel. Do you really care about the preaching of the Word of God? Do you really care about telling somebody, reflecting the light of Christ to somebody? If you are willing to do that, it says you will save your life. You will lose your life if you don't care. Why am I telling you this? Not to heap conviction on you, but to so inform you. Because what I have seen is that most of the time, if young people know, they will do it but they generally don't realize it. Paul said, I went through all of this and I had the concern of all the churches. Do I even really care about one church? Do I care about one Christian meeting? Enough that I am going to take my time. And I know you're all busy. But the amazing thing is, busyness really never stops. Until maybe you're retired, I don't know. I haven't been there yet. But, there's this sense, and I've been there, that when you're a student, that you, you know, you're busier than you'll ever be in your life. But then what happens is you graduate, you get a job, and most jobs for professionals, which you guys are going to be, are not 40 hours. Most jobs are not, especially the way they really torque down on the young people. You go into a, a, in a, into a consulting firm, you know, a McKinsey, ask them, you working 40 hours? They will burst out laughing. You go into a law firm, Talk to the young lawyers. So what do you work? 35, 40 hours a week? <laughs> no way. You become a physician. You become an assistant professor. And ask them, you working 40 hours a week? Oh, isn't it great to have your nights free? <laughs> and then you start having children. And then you try to sleep at night. You can't sleep anymore because this kid is screaming. And you've got all this other stuff going on. And, and it's much harder to get to church because the kid's throwing up and the kid's this and you've got to change that and you get them all dressed up for church and then the, everything comes out all over their clothes. And like, you know, and you've got to take them and dip them in the sink and wash them all off and get them dressed again. This is what you have to do. It's not just, oh, look at me. Didn't I sacrifice a lot to come here this morning? When you have kids, it is hard. You've got to get all the kids there, and then, and then somehow, after all of this, you've got to come to church at least faking a smile. This is what you've got to do. So it doesn't get easier. It really doesn't. You talk to a mother of three children, mother of three young children. Ask her, is it, is it really relaxed to be here at home as a mother? I mean, they're longing to get a job so they can get, get away and, and relax a little bit. It is tough work. This is why I went to work every day. I had to get out of there. I was going to stay there. And you're at home. It's, it, it's worse. At least I can sit in my office. Shireen went away and, and, and for, for two weeks to take care of her brother, and I had to take care of these kids, and someone would, would drop them off at, at my office. And I was in this meeting. This is a really important meeting in my office. The door comes busting open, and I... And book bags get thrown in and jackets and they come running in and they start coloring all over the board. And I'm like, oh, excuse me, I'm sorry about that. This is what it's like when you have kids. It's not easy. I mean, a student would never dare do that. But your children, they do that all the time. You tell them don't do it, they do it more. 
Do you care about the church and the body of Christ? God will honor you if you honor Him. Those who honor me, I will honor. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your mercies and the grace of God. Thank You so much, my Father. I pray, Lord, for these young people that as they go through things in life, that it would not inhibit them from honoring You, from loving the church, from being concerned about the church, the body of Christ, the brethren. Father, I pray that those, that, that, that these young people would see and would take hold of this, what it means to serve in the body of Christ. And Father, that you would so bless their lives according as you have promised. That I'm sure of. That I know you will do. Father, I pray that you would release them in their own hearts to serve and to honor you. And Father, I commit these young people to you. In the name of Jesus. Amen.